what I wanted to start uh, this conversation with was you, I remember you showed a, a photo of uh, a photo of you diet versus your lifestyle and how your relationship towards food now revolves around, I think you said nourishment, health, and enjoyment. Correct. And I want to touch on that. I want to start this conversation there. Like those sure. three pillars, how do you integrate those three pillars into your life while maintaining a healthy psychological relationship with food? Maybe you can give examples of times where it was really hard and you, you didn't do a good job at that. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, for me, my, um, uh, I guess my movement into the whole fitness uh, industry was based on a personal more of a, a, a personal uh, reason. And one of those reasons was a, a massive turning point in my life was the fact that I used to be obese. And I was obese as a teen growing up. Uh, and that had a profound impact on how I viewed fitness itself. It, for me, it was a way of escapism. It was a way out. Uh, I had grown up obese. I had grown up uh, you know, with uh, bullying in that sense. Uh, and it affected me on a very big psychological level. It affected me so much so that it, it, it came to a point where I had to make a choice on changing myself. And I really felt that as I did change myself, not so much people would accept me. It's more about the fact that I just wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to prove my naysayers. I wanted to look at them in the eye and, and, and you know, the people that made fun of me and ridiculed me and basically changed things around. So I, I did that. I did that at... Um, and, and uh, went on a, a massive sort of a weight loss journey. Uh, I did it very quick. It was unorthodox. It was incorrect. Uh, I only knew what I knew at that point of time. And I remember one of those things that actually triggered it was my best mate at that point of time looked at me and he called me fat. You know, So this was my best mate. And at that point of time, when you confide in someone that much and this person is your, your support – and that person ridicules you, you really feel like you've got nowhere to turn to. Uh, one of the strategies I remember doing was the fact that I needed to lose weight fast. Uh, and I wanted to prove him wrong and I wanted to prove the rest of the world wrong. And I was very embarrassed about running outside. I knew that calories mattered. I knew that I needed to lean down. I didn't know how to. I had no idea about fitness. I had no idea about nutrition. But I knew that if I ate less and I did some sort of activity, that would work. I would somehow lose fat. And I remember running in my room. Now, I was afraid to run outside because I had bulges of fat. I was, you know, very self-conscious. And I had a mirror in front of my room. And I remember putting a towel down in front of a mirror. And I ran on the spot in my room in front of the mirror, looked at myself. I said, you got to change and you will have to change. So I did that every single day for an hour and a half without fail. Uh, that was all I knew how to do. I also restricted my calories. Uh, I ate very little. Uh, but the end point after three months was I lost 22 kilos in three months. All right. People around me couldn't recognize me. My grandmother thought I was possessed and she wanted to send me to, you know, an exorcist. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, it was bizarre. It was bizarre because I changed so much. But what was profound in all that unhealthy uh, ways of changing and approaching the situation, what was really profound, what hit me was the power of my mind. If I set my mind to doing something that was the first time in my life where I felt, you know what, 
if I wanted to do it, I could do it. And that completely changed my mindset into so many things of how I approached life. Uh, this formed a stepping stone for me for my, I guess, my university degree. I'm a psychologist by trade uh, and got into the industry because I really wanted to understand the mindset behind food, eating, behaviors, uh, and how you know, obese people will kind of relate to that, how I could help people like myself per se. And, and my heart was in trying to help individuals like that. But I went through a point of eating disorders as well. Uh, for me, talking about eating disorders is something that is very personal, but it's also a journey of overcoming what I see around me. Uh, I went into periods of time where I would starve myself for days uh, and then go to a buffet and load up on food. And, and obviously, it's the people around me that would want me to eat. So I remember my grandmother taking me to a buffet and saying, hey, you know, I know you like this. This is good for you. Why don't you eat it? So a lot of temptation. These are the friends around you. These are the people that, you know, it's not, sometimes they don't want to see you succeed, but sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes they're concerned about you and they want you to enjoy life. Mm -hmm. And they see what you're doing as a, a, a way of restricting yourself, your mind, and you being unhappy. And so, you know, forcing you to eat or trying to get some food into you would be a, talking some sense into you. And I remember myself trying to dig food out uh, and try to, trying to vomit. Thank God it, it didn't happen. Thank God I never actually reached a stage where I could vomit for some reason. I, I, I tend to just keep my food in. Uh, but I would starve myself for the entire day. Uh, and that's, this lasted for a good 18, 18 months, 24 months, close to two years. I went into phases of, uh, you know, just really bad, having a really bad relationship with my food. And this really, I think, gave me a, a platform to understand individuals like myself. Uh, fast forward, I got into the fitness industry and naturally I wanted to learn more. The more I learned, the dumber I felt. And so foods and the understanding of nutrition and foods is something I hold very close to my heart. Now, so when I posted up that post you're talking about on Instagram, talking about enjoyments of foods and you know, your lifestyle and uh, you know, what, what are you actually eating for? Right now, because I've come from such a point, I also realize the ability for someone like myself to develop a mindset of understanding food. And that is over these years, I'm able to live a lifestyle where I can truly call a lifestyle and actually enjoy the foods that I'm eating, enjoy my lifestyle. But when I say this, it is my perspective towards what I do. Individuals looking in may say a different thing, right? Uh, again, the perspective of food is what you make of it. It's really what you make of it. And especially living in a time, in a world, in an industry where we moralize food. We call foods good and bad. Exactly right. We, we apply dichotomous thinking, black and white. And I think these contribute, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, like these contribute to disordered eating patterns and behaviors when we, then the cascade of feelings after that is guilt or shame um, or other associated feelings that just get you down the path of negative eating, uh, poisonous eating behaviors. Um, I mean, there's a lot we can go with that, but 
how does someone begin to uncover that, unravel that, and I guess address it and develop a healthier relationship? I think for the individual, you know, there's so much marketing out there that they don't realize what exactly is correct. Um, so many conflicting things out there. The want to eat certain foods is not just fueled by uh, an emotional feeling. We know that there is emotional eating, but more than just an emotional feeling, there is a physical and a physiological change in the brain when one touches a certain type of food. Now, specifically here, you know, we are, we are let, let's say this, we are looking at the effect of insulin. And insulin is a, a regulatory hormone in the body, which is highly anabolic, but it is the hormone that stores sugar. We know that. Uh, the effect of eating sugar too much and too frequently would spike your insulin. And after some time, when insulin spikes, this is where havoc is created. The, the diseases that we see around us nowadays really revolves around the seesaw between insulin and cortisol, and cortisol being excessive stress that our environment creates for us. All right, And the two loading each other up is creating a multitude of just a whole range of diseases, man-made diseases right now that we're trying to tackle, that we're trying to give medications for and so forth. Now, one of the, one of the factors, uh, a, a reason why I spoke about insulin is because when we talk about good foods and bad foods and, and, and cheats and treats, specifically, we're talking about sugary foods, right? People, when people talk about treats, if you look at Instagram, all their treats are all about donuts and pizzas and ice creams. It's, it's just a whole bunch of sugar. What does sugar actually do? We know that as a constituent, as sugar on its own accord is what the body needs. The body needs glucose as energy, right? So this is where the, uh, like what you said, the dichotomy of food, bad foods and good foods and how we label foods allow us to form a particular emotional relationship with them. But physically in the brain, what refined, we know that a, a intake and constant intake of refined sugar actually lights up a certain part of your brain called the nucleus accumbens. And that part of your brain is the part of the brain that lights up when you are addicted to something. Okay, the nucleus accumbens is the center of motivation and reward. When you take in sugar, they have actually found that the nucleus accumbens lights up more on sugar than it does cocaine. So right here, understand that if you keep feeding your body sugar, you grow an addiction to sugar, which is stronger than cocaine itself. Now, imagine you have a cocaine addict trying to wean them off cocaine. How difficult would that be? Let alone an individual that is highly fed on sugar because the marketing around us supports it, right? It supports it in various ways. You can support it by, hey, if you go to the gym and you train, it doesn't really matter. You can burn off those calories so long as, fine, you eat that, you burn it off. That's okay. You still can look good. At the end of the day, it's about looking good, not about the health of what it actually does to the body. So we find ways around it. In creating this, say right now, I have the individual that you want to take away from uh, you know, bad foods and their relationship with, with foods. Create a better lifestyle habit. And so you're saying, hey, don't, don't touch sugar. Try and try to stay away from it. Do you realize that we are talking here to individuals who have an altered brain? We all, you, myself, we all have been feeding on sugar, refined sugar for an extended period of time. True? 
Because of that, our brain is physically altered. Sugar actually alters the dopamine receptor sites of your brain itself, alters it. So much so, and research actually shown, it changes those dopamine receptor sites so much so that any other feelings of motivation that you get from around you doesn't compare to sugar itself. So your body only craves sugar. So if I'm telling someone in a diet or a nutrition plan, hey, stay off sugar, it is pointless because even though I'm telling that to them, their brain is physically altered. They have an addiction to it. I'm speaking to an addict. So I want people to understand that getting off sugar, bad foods, good foods, that is a short-term way of looking at the whole situation. The long-term way is that this is going to take time. It is not something that is created in a day. My relationship with food was not something that was created in a year. It wasn't created in two years. My brain was changed because of what I ate, because I used to be obese. And I could only be obese because of the sugary and the fatty foods that I used to eat. But it took me time to change this. Patience is key. Mm. But and that that's a tough pill to swallow. It's a simple pill, right? Patience. It's it's like it's like a it really is an answer to many of life's like problems, right? But strategically, how do you pull someone back from the addictions of to food that they have and develop a healthy relationship? Because previously I have had an obsession with, you know, an obsession with healthy eating. Orthorexia is a, is a term that is used clinically. I don't know if I've ever had it. But regardless, many people can go down those paths. They can begin uh, disordered eating patterns and begin to feel guilt, shame around eating the foods that they're afraid to eat because of the things that we're talking about. You know, the addictions, sugar, sugar highly palatable foods, uh, affecting insulin and your metabolic health and inflammation, disease, blah, 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 okay? And so, how can we get to a point where I feel like I'm, I'm getting to now where and many people have come to, hopefully, where, oh, I can enjoy the pleasure and moment of purposeful indulgence or mm -hmm. flexible eating or, yeah. you know, I can, I can have that donut or pizza on occasion when I choose to, not because I'm emotionally reacting to an addiction or some external influence. I how do we get there? Like in your experience, how do you get people to that point? Because it's a very liberating feeling once you get there. Okay, there are several things that I would do. Okay, a stepwise process. So first and foremost, if you remove a, a substance for a client, let's say you're trying to tell them, try not to have so much sugar, it's very important that when you remove something, you substitute it. Okay. okay, so it's very, very important because often when you tell people to take something out, they don't substitute it in. Now, this can also be uh, carried over into a, let's say, a caloric count, right? Let's say your client is on X amount of calories, 2,000 calories, and you tell them, oh, you're having too much carbs in there. You need to take off your carbs. Fine. The problem with that is when clients take off their carbs, they don't replace their carbs with anything else. So you're literally dropping their calories through the day. Most people don't tell them, hey, if you take off your carbs, add in more protein, add in other calories, for example. 
So if you take off something, you put in something. It could be alcohol. If you're taking off alcohol, something needs to be added in. Most people are social drinkers. When they go out to socially drink, the reason why they keep drinking is because their glass is in their hand and they feel really awkward if they don't have a glass. So make sure they have a glass, have something else in there. Or teach them how to prolong drinking alcohol within a single glass mm. by sipping because people feel awkward when the glass is empty and they have to refill it again. Yeah. So there are many different strategies on how to replace something when you take something out. That's the first thing. The second thing that I always like to look at is aim at the lowest hanging fruit for a client. Don't try to aim for the wall. Most people add in five changes when they try to change uh, you know, a, a client's nutrition or when they look at their own nutrition. We're very black or white individuals. It's like, you know, today I'm going on a diet, so I'm going to go for boiled chicken breast and steamed broccoli and brown rice. And whoever said food needs to be that way? Right. Whoever said you needed to go from black to white? And the problem with people is when they go from black to white, the body kind of just. So this is a means to an end. There is no way this is going to be a sustainable lifestyle. There is no way you are going to enjoy chicken breast because you haven't made any sort of effort to try to learn how to cook it properly so you can enjoy it. For you, it's a strategy and a bad one. Hmm. So typically, I always do things in a stepwise process for one. Right? I don't add too many steps. I don't take out too many steps. I find the lowest hanging fruit. Often for me, the lowest hanging fruit is changing one meal at a time, yeah. right? So if I can change a meal, I do one meal at a time. If someone is smoking a pack of cigarettes, 12 cigarettes a day, if I get them to drop, it's not the pack. It's one cigarette every two to three weeks. So you go from 24 down to 23, down to 21, down to however long it will take. And I don't add in another change until you can master the one I've given to you. So you, you can keep that. Are you, are you then, uh, once you create a, a small change in a direction that we want, do you then back end that with some type of positive reinforcement? How do you think about affirming the positive change behavior? That's a, you know, that's a, that's a really good one. And here's one for you. I want the body to reaffirm that behavior for the client itself. So I want to teach the client how to read what the body tells them. Okay. okay. So to give you an example, typically if you start the day off with sugar, okay, let's do sugar's example. Our breakfasts are typically very high in sugar. You go to pancakes, maple syrup, uh, you know, skim milk, uh, uh, cereals, all that kind of stuff. It's all really high in sugar. We understand that with the moment you take in sugar, your insulin spikes, then it drops. And that's why through the day, you've got an insulin spike and drop. So you're constantly looking for sugar because you started the day with sugar. Yeah, Not everyone can do that. Some people have a good amount of insulin sensitivity. Some people, specific body types like ectomorphs may do extremely well with that. Other people don't. So it's, again, very independent. Uh, if, let's say, this client doesn't do well with sugar, the first thing I will get them to do is putting more protein for breakfast. So research has actually shown protein, a very a high amount of protein, significant amount of protein at breakfast completely changes not just the outlook of the person on food throughout the whole day, it changes their, their motivation and behavior as well. So if let's say you give them protein to start off the day, the, the satiety is there for one. Mm. They regulate uh, neurotransmitters 
that teach them that they are fuller, okay? Uh, peptide YY is definitely one of them that is regulated in the ileum and, and colon, and it allows them to feel fuller. Uh, but what also happens is that they make better decisions on food choices throughout the day, research has found. So even at dinner, they will make better choices at dinner. They are less likely to eat snacks through the day. So this is really interesting. I'm not telling a client, you cannot eat this, you cannot eat this, and you should eat this. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying I'm changing one meal, and that meal is the first meal of the day where you put in protein. Now, I'm going to let the body, your body, do the rest of the talking. You have that, and naturally, naturally, mm -hmm. you will gravitate towards better food choices. So what's the lowest hanging fruit? The lowest hanging fruit is at one meal. Instead of telling them five things that they need to change through the day, stop snacking on sneakers, choose chicken for dinner, I'm not telling anything. I'm giving them one little thing that they can change is add protein in their breakfast or first meal and let the body do the talking. This is a really, I really like this subject, lowest hanging fruit. And then we're picking one behavior that can have a cascade of positive behaviors without like snowball down a hill. Exactly. So let's go further. Like in life now, in training and health, let's take it anywhere you think. What are the, what do you think the lowest hanging fruits are in life that can really you know, so you can live your best life. You can be as healthy and intelligent and effective and and have really strong relationships and a life of meaning and fulfillment. What is the lowest hanging fruit to that for all of those categories, whatever comes to mind? For me, it's gratefulness. It's being grateful. Yeah. It really is. Starting we the day with that? Or it doesn't matter. Ending the day, starting the day being in the middle of the day, okay. reminding yourself that you are grateful. And yep. the reason why is because we all shoot for something that we want. We are, you know, speaking to yourself, myself, for example, we're very driven individuals. I drive all the time up here for what I want, but I never sit down and hardly to actually sit down and go, I've come so far. Yeah. I've, I've, I have so much around me. Yeah. Really, I should be thankful, but no, we're aiming for something else. And this is what I constantly have to remind myself. You know, it's very interesting because sometimes you speak to people and they remind you of your success. They're like, oh, you are, you've done this and you've done this. And honestly, I've never ever stood down and looked at where I am and considered myself successful. For me, it's, it's a race. I'm nowhere close to the, the finish. You know, I find myself falling and picking myself up and that's, that's where my focus is. But I fail to stop. And smell the roses. It's gratitude. When you are grateful for what you have, everything around you starts to cease. You don't worry about anything else. You realize that where you are now is where you were once wishing to be. You never do realize it unless you stop. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, for a certain type of people, I think, like yourself, you know, maybe like myself in, in some ways, that do you really... Is there really ever a finish line? Do you ever really stop? Like humans, we just keep to, we tend to keep playing games, like different games of life and running mm -hmm. different races. And mm -hmm. I don't know if, I don't know if we're ever supposed to stop, you know? It's just a different game that it's very like heady and philosophical. Like I just, I don't know. I don't know if we're supposed to stop playing these games of development and the pursuit of something greater than ourselves. I think that gives us uh, 
an aim in life and, and a meaning and fulfillment that is beyond ourselves. And I, I don't disagree with you. I actually think it's, you know, we always have to aim for something more. I mean, we are created for whatever higher purpose you call it. Yeah. We just have to, it, it, I, I think that if we stop chasing what is around us or what we want, uh, that is where life sees us. You just, you're just there. You know, it's, it's not to become overly complacent, but it is to appreciate what's in the now as well. And that's the problem when it's all, it seems to be a black or white. When individuals chase, they fail to appreciate the now. And one thing I've, I've also learned is making sure that you give back. Mm. And I find the biggest fulfillment is not in receiving, but in giving. And it actually is in giving when I'm in need, not when I'm giving when I'm in, in abundance. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a tough one, I think, for a lot of people because when you don't have a lot, like, why would I give? I only have two pieces of fruit left, but I'm going to give you my, my second last piece of fruit or my last piece of fruit. How... I've always had trouble with that one. And I think a lot of people do because we want to survive and we want to thrive and do really well. But how did you get to that point, Benjamin? How did you get to that point where you could actually be brave I, enough to give when you didn't have I, a lot? You know what? I haven't got to that point. I'm teaching myself and reminding myself every day right. that I need to be at that point. Yeah. And it, it will continue to be for my life because humans are all selfish. I'll tell you one thing. I worked as a commercial, a trainer in a commercial gym uh, for many years. Uh, and it was one of the, the biggest thriving gyms in Melbourne. Uh, and within a commercial gym, you know, trainers run their own businesses there and everyone's against each other. So it was a very, you know, closed uh, environment. It was a cutthroat environment. And I remember being extremely selfish and sharing my knowledge and developing my business there because trainers will see and trainers will do. Monkey see, monkey do, right? And you want to be different. You want to have your unique selling point. So if trainers are listening to this and you're in your commercial gym, you would understand that's the case. You develop uh, an insecurity. You develop a, a selfishness because you want to be different. And I remember that gym creating so much toxicity for me that it spurred on one main thing in my head. And that was, I needed to get out to set myself free and I needed a space where I can thrive. This was one of the reasons or the main reason why I have got out and founded myself this space, Australian Strength Performance, where I am currently right now. So uh, my space is a product of the environment that I was in. And I realized that the moment I got out of that gym, this allowed me to think more about what I really wanted to do. Uh, and I created courses and education to give because what is the most precious thing that you can hide away from trainers is the education that you know because that defines you as a coach and a trainer. Uh, and uh, I, I was selfish. Mm. And I realized that as I started to create education, as I started to teach courses, and I travel internationally to teach courses right now, the more I give, the more I receive. The more I give, the more I fill myself up. I feel rewarded. Uh, and I, you know, the more I give, the more I learn. I can never stop giving because it allows me to learn more. Now, this whole situation has translated not just in giving of education, but I realized that when you're talking about giving, it's not necessarily something that's physical. It may not necessarily be money. Hmm. 
the most precious commodity that I might have have right now is my time and the energy. And I realized that giving my energy to people that, you know, sometimes you just want to cut people off because you don't have time for them. And you think I've got more important things to do. I've got to write seminar. I've got to speak to a crowd. I've got to, but, you know, giving time, actually finding time and saying, you know, I'm going to dedicate my time to you. This time I cannot buy back. I cannot have, but it's part of my life that I give to you because I want you to have this. Mm. Uh, I walk away. And to be very honest with you, I'm, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's not a metaphysical thing, but I feel that my energy levels after I do that is just way up there. Irregardless of whether I get anything back from the person, that's not what I'm looking for. It's the act of giving. And I step back and I go, this is good. I've done what I needed to do. I think the commonality between all of that is there is a connection with another person, right? Mm. And if we can find space to consistently connect, you know, in the whole pursuit of excellence and doing more and more and more and acquiring and growing, it's like at the end of the day, it, it seems like a lot of that feeling of enjoyment and fulfillment and the things you were describing in life comes out as a result of sharing moments and connecting with other people. And that can be an afterthought in the pursuit of more. You can mm. feel like, I'm going to put, hold on, I don't have time to hang out with these friends or, or, or spend time with my family or partner. I got, I got goals. I got things to do. I got mountains to climb and, and giants to slay, right? However... I'm thinking like, what's the point of it all? Why do we do all of this? Isn't mm. it so we can also create time and space to actually... Do exactly just that. Yeah, just breathe and, and like, I'm at peace. What are we yeah. doing all this for? Yeah. How have you found that journey yourself? Like, have you... Because, you, you know... Any like almost all the people we're talking on this podcast, it's it's people who are ambitious, people who want more, people who are doing, and they're very active, physically and and career wise, professionally. How do you find your cadence, rhythm, and balance with accomplishment, ambition, but enjoyment and connection with other people, family, friends? At this point of time, I'm, I'm having a very hard time. Mm. I really am because the whole COVID situation has turned the fitness industry on its head, yeah. as you know. The fitness industry is a very face-to-face, -face, a physical industry. We have been hit really hard because right now, the lack of physical contact, uh, let's say for myself as an international presenter, not being able to present and travel and teach my courses has completely destroyed the business. So... In order for the business to survive, I have to think laterally. I have to move a lot of you know, information on online platforms, create online platforms, understand them better, promote them better online. Uh, it's a whole new journey. And in pursuing a whole new journey and a whole new set of skills that I'm learning, I am pursuing it with everything that I have. Now, remember, I've learned if I put my mind to something, I can and I will do it, and I have, which is right now. 
And so am I finding balance in all this right now? No, I'm not. I'm chasing it. I am chasing this with a passion. But I know I have to set a target for myself to complete it, do what I need to do, mm. set some timelines, and learn to step back and enjoy. I think that's really important what you just said. It's like, because you can keep running, right? If you, unless you unless you set a target, a boundary, this is where I stop to reflect whether I need to keep moving. Well, why don't you just keep adding more zeros to your to your bank account, Benjamin? You can keep That's doing right. that. You can keep helping more people. Why stop at ten thousand followers? What about a hundred thousand? What about a million? Like <laughs> this is I'm fascinated with this topic, with like when people choose oh, I'm at peace. Do you ever find that? Or do you never get off the treadmill? And I'll be honest with you, I don't find I do. I don't find I do, but I do need to remind myself. And this is the, this is the good thing because sometimes, you know, when we are so caught up in there, we don't remind ourselves enough. You need people around you sometimes to complement your sort of character. Uh, in my organization, I try to find people mm. that will complement that. People that I can look at and go, you know what? I think I should take a break because I look at them and it's great in that sense. Uh, people that will complement you in your flaws. And to me, like, you know, sprinting this hard, this fast, often would get me hitting a wall. And so I need to learn how to pace myself. It is, uh, it is something that I'm struggling with at this point in time. I'll be very, very honest with you because, again, it's a time where it's so uncertain. I don't know, I don't know when gyms are going to close again. Yeah. So to me, in my head, if my center is open, I'm, I'm here 24-7. I'm doing what I can because I want to be accountable to myself that if it does close, I can say I've done every single thing, every single day that I could to keep it running. And In then you, you can sleep at night, essentially, knowing you did all that needed to be done and could be done. If you reflect back on the last year, what do you take away as major personal and professional lessons learned that so many. have changed the way you approach your life and, and career? So many, so many. Uh, last, I mean, man, the last year, was probably the most profound year that I could actually think of. Uh, it has taught me and forced me to think laterally. It has put me and aroused demons that I've never realized existed within myself. I've always tried to, since I've opened the center, to teach myself to keep giving. And it was in last year that I felt myself hold back because it was so uncertain, I did not know how much I could give. Yeah. Both financially, both physically, and both emotionally. Uh, and I felt, you know, I came to a point where I looked at myself and I went, stop. Because I was digging a hole to where I used to be. I was a selfish individual because I wanted to keep everything to me. And I hated that, that I saw. Um, I stepped out of it. And I realized that you know, at the end of last year, I looked at what I did. And last year was the biggest year of lack, financially, uh, emotionally. But it was also the year that I gave the most. Because oh. I made a conscious effort to do that. But it's 
that, that's interesting because you, you said you struggled with that the most, particularly in the beginning. Very hard. And that was like a demon that you had to battle because it was like a conflict of what value or identity. I wouldn't say so much of a value identity. It was more of um, maybe a value, less of an identity. Okay. Maybe a value. How did you almost, I don't know, I don't know if this is the right word, but f did you try and really like force yourself to give after you saw yourself trying to withhold in the time of scarcity? Like how did you flip that? Because you could have stayed in that scarcity mindset and held yep. more coins in your pocket, if you will. Yep, 100%. I, I mean, for me, it was... Uh, Someone did. I for, for me, it was making a conscious decision to do it. Uh, and I knew it because in every other previous time that I gave, that lifted me up. Uh, right now, the logical mind is telling me don't. And, and again, this, is, this may not be financial, right? It, it, financial is one thing, but it could be from an energetic level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually sitting down with people who are going through issues and trying to help them out of their issues when I'm stuck in the dump myself. Giving them my time, giving them my energy, giving them my ears, sitting down there and saying, "Hey, I'm here for you. If you need to, if I need me to hear you, talk to me." Trying to find solutions for them when I'm stuck. But the more I did that, and again, I did it against my logic. The more I did that, the more I felt myself come out of where I was. I cannot explain this anymore. Yeah. Except that it is just a I don't know what it is a a a principle. It's a cosmic principle, yeah. if you want to put it that way. That's, that's beautifully put. It's it's like, I appreciate how you're not trying to like necessarily apply some, I don't know, metaphysical, logical or rationale to it. It's like, oh, it, it, just how I felt. When I gave more, when I didn't have, my life got better. I felt better, which is, I think it's a beautiful thing about human beings when you could realize that um, another thing that i wanted to you know talk about lessons learned if you if we go more strategic now you know i think a lot of people's businesses and habits and systems got exposed for their flaws and i'm a bit uh, obsessed recently with finding efficient systems and habits and if we talk about that you know a lot of downfall for a lot of businesses and people is they don't have effective systems and habits to support their goals and outcomes in life so with you personally in your business what did you, I know you talked about online, which I think a lot of people went to, but what else? Like if you go really strategic, was it, what did you set up that has really changed the way you approach the efficiency of your business or personal life? For me, it was realizing that uh, having a, a space or a training space and one-on-one -on -one courses, face-to-face -face courses uh, had, had to be changed. The system of doing it had to be changed so much so that I couldn't be affected by COVID. That's as simple as that. So I had to create a, a whole online platform where my courses could be basically put on and a system of marketing these courses to different countries internationally, uh, liaising with different fitness bodies in order to promote these courses. So it, it's creating a whole network and a whole system that is purely based online. And this year will be dedicated to growing that. Okay. All right. So for, for me, it's creating new products, online products. We're not talking about online personal training. That to me is straightforward. Uh, and to, to be very honest with you, it doesn't work very, very well. I'm talking about educational systems because uh, for me, 
as a, uh, a benefit is that education is something that can be easily put online without having to touch a dumbbell in that sense. So it was creating new products, creating new seminars, filming it, putting it online, creating a whole portal, putting the marketing, pulling people in, being more engaging on different avenues of, uh, you know, uh, e-commerce in that sense, uh, whether it's YouTube that you're growing, whether it's platforms of social media like TikTok and stuff like that, Clubhouse maybe. Uh, it is to pull people in from various areas to amalgamate them onto a particular platform. Okay. I mean, speaking of education, do you, because we're, we're an education company first and foremost, you know, do you, when you reflect back on your career in life, what do you think your best investment in your professional development has been? You, as in a specific course or? It could be a course, a degree, a certificate, an internship, someone you paid for a mentorship, someone you learnt off for a day. I don't want to say any names. I don't want to bias the answer, but I know a couple that come to mind with you who you've worked yeah. with. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, when you look at people around, around I mean, there's so many people that I seek inspiration from. Uh, Charles Poliquin, obviously, is definitely one of them. He has been my mentor uh, since since he came to Australia, really, or the second year he was in Australia. So, you know, he's had a large influence on how I think and what I do. Uh, a lot of his concepts hold still really relevant today in how he applies, uh, but also looking at other faculties uh, with, all the, with all the other uh, lines of thought that you'll be, whether it's Paul Czech, whether it's, you know, you, you look at um, uh, other, other schools of thought out there, yeah. right? I, I think it's very important that if you don't know anything, latch onto something really hard first. Bite onto it and grasp the concepts. But understand that that's not the end on the be all and that forms a platform for you to search more, the truth, so-called. And again, one of those things is the more I learned, the dumber I am. Because the more you learn, the more you learn to question, the more you learn to be critical. So really it's just encouraged me to learn more and more and more and more, more than anything else. When you think back because I know you know you, you knew Charles well enough and he respected you enough to, to send you repeated birthday messages for your anniversary of your gym which is pretty special quite mm. an honor for would be for a lot of people uh, do you have a, a memorable story from that you recall back on your experiences learning from Charles and your correspondence with him is there anything that comes to mind many you, you know people if really interesting about Charles is that People who sit and listen to him, people draw a lot of information from what he says, but they take it very literally. I like to watch behavior. I like to watch the intent of giving information rather than information itself, right? It tells a lot about a person. Now, Charles was that individual where he could give you information, but his actions, the way he looked at you when he gave you information uh, and how he said it actually formed more meaning to me than the information itself. I remember the first consult I uh, had with Charles Poliquin. This was the first time, and this was years when he came back, second time in Australia. So he's pretty much brand new to the Australian crowd. Uh, and mate, we have never heard of prices like that before, right? So, so he would come in and would say, What was he charging charge, back then? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I charge $1,000 an hour. Yeah. Okay, $1,000 an hour 
just sit down with me. And I just went, we kind of looked at ourselves going, how much? A thousand dollars an hour. This guy is, are you serious? Obviously, after sitting the course and listening to how he speaks, you, you got no doubt that, okay, maybe someone could charge that much. And I remember I was the first one to put up my hands. Uh, and I said, look, I, I, wanted, I wanted some time with him. Couldn't afford a thousand. I said, okay, I want a half an hour with you. Uh, and I remember that half an hour meeting. Like, to me, it's like I'm, I'm giving you a whole bunch of what is in my pocket. That's pretty much it. You know, take it, but I want to see what, what I can get from you. And I remember, you know, the other people doing the same thing as well. Uh, but when I sat down and, and he was giving me advice the first time I sat down with him, he said, come and uh, sit down with me for breakfast. He didn't invite me for breakfast. He, I sat down while he was eating and I asked him. Wait, you paid for that? Yeah, I paid for that. I didn't pay for his breakfast. I paid $500 to sit down with him while he was eating just to answer some questions. <laughs> that's, that's Charles. Yeah, That's right. Charles, okay. right? Yeah. Okay, you, you look at that and you will go, what in the world? Why? Why would you do that? Because yeah. typically... Someone will sit down and actually give you their time. Yeah, yeah, their, their energy. Their, their, it would be a more professional setup. But Charles is a unique guy. You know, Charles did it his way. Always did it his way. And that was valuable. That allowed me to connect with him in a very different way. Okay. That allowed me to understand him more because he was relaxed. Oh. That allowed me to ask him questions about his life that most other students will be interested about. Because they just wanted to find out how could I get myself leaner, give me the best protocols, what supplements should I take. That formed a base for me. The second time I remember doing the same thing in the next course, straight away I knew what he charged. I said, okay, I want, I want to do it with you. I want to sit down with you. And this time I came prepared. I came prepared not to ask him the questions, but to understand the mindset behind how he answered my questions. So to me, the most valuable part, you see, it's not the, the egg, it's not the golden egg, it's the goose that lays the golden egg. It's understanding the thought process of the individual that gives you the information. Now, information is all out there. You can go on Google and find the same bloody information. Exactly. It is how the person deliver, delivers information, his thinking behind, the rationale behind why he says that, that is critical. And you know what? People don't see that. This is exactly why, and I, I want to say this out there because there's so many guys that would have done polyquin courses and or, or heard of Charles and will bag him and will go, this is bullshit. He says all this, da, 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 all this information, but they don't sit down to understand the rationale and the context behind why he says what he says. Now, we only want to take away what we choose to take away. I didn't choose to take away just the raw facts that perhaps could have come out of his mouth because I knew that was in a particular context. And if we were smart enough, we would learn how to interpret that context and use it correctly. And it's not in all contexts that you would use the same information. Mm. So don't blame the person that delivered it. Blame yourself, the person who executes it because you're doing it wrong. So let's go into that. What did you uncover about Charles's way of thinking, his operating system? Like what was it that you picked up that has informed your own operating system and way of thinking? His ability to connect the dots. He connected a lot of dots. He was very quick to jump onto ideas, very quick to substantiate it with science, very quick to connect the dots and connect the individuals that could bring the dots. Charles actually taught me a lot of principles, life principles. A lot of these life principles, he uh, applies himself. 
You know, one of them is gratitude. One of them is giving, tithing. You know, give 10% of whatever you earn. You have to give it away and it will come back to you. You know, see, he had a lot of life principles that he taught. Uh, and that was what was valuable for me. Was there one, I mean, you just gave an example, but there's, was there one valuable, really like most valuable takeaway you've had from from Charles and, and his teachings and just maybe the way he behaved to you that's informed your your life and behavior? Uh, Business-wise, yes. He shaped the business to start off with. Now, obviously, again, bear in mind, the models that he would give is very different from the models that were run in Australia. So you take what you want to take, you apply it. If it doesn't work, you've got to alter and change it. But I think to me, the, 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 the biggest things that I would take away from Charles, honestly, would be the gratitude, would be to learn to be grateful, to learn to type, to learn to give away. Because the more you give, the more you'll come back. I bet if you asked 50 to 100 people, I don't know. Well, I don't imagine, I'm just surprised at your answer because it is probably quite counter to what people would expect when you hear, what'd you learn from Charles? I bet not many people would expect gratitude and giving, right? But seems like you've connected some dots that maybe a lot of people haven't. So maybe try to understand the individual, not the information. There you go. That's that's probably that's probably yeah, that's a very profound thought. Understanding the individual behind the information, the operating system, and then you can apply those principles accordingly instead of just trying to superficially just take the top layer of sexy information that you think will change everything but what's underneath it all sexy information is exactly it you know people try to apply too much sexy information Mm. well there's there's many places where you can take this guy so many things that uh talk about benjamin um this is i want to back up though i want to back up to the thing you said about obesity I know it's a bit of a right term we're making, but you've studied psychology and I wanted to understand the thinking behind the root causes behind obesity and the psychological framework that gets people to unhealthy behaviors that gets the outcome of obesity because we look technically at what obesity is, but often it doesn't help us understand how people got there, you know, whether it's trauma or a really poor environment that is enforcing these negative behaviors. Like, what do you see as some of the root causes to, you can go further than obesity, but, and how we can address them at their roots? Uh, It is control. It is the ability to find stability and control in a situation. We all don't like a situation that we have no understanding or control over. Human beings always want to be stable. Human beings always want to know. And so for a lot of individuals who are in a position of trauma, anxiety, depression, um, whatever you call it, you know, they find a way to find stability. And one way that they can find stability is if they can feed themselves, they can choose to do it. It's stable, isn't it? You choose to. It is your choice. No one forces you to do it. You take it, you put it in your mouth. You can cut yourself. You can eat the food. You see what I'm saying? It is your choice to your body. You find stability 
in doing that, you have control over yourself. And in that control, this is where, you know, I guess they find peace in that sense, peace. So then how do we think about, I don't know, would you think about giving those people who are addicted to certain behaviors that give them control, do we look to replace that with something else that is nourishing but also gives them an amount of control? How would you tackle that? To me, I won't, even, I won't look to try to change a behavior because it takes too much to change a behavior. For me, it's try to create a new behavior. You see, when I tell you to change a behavior, a lot of the times I tell you not to look at that behavior, right? But if I tell you right now, hey, I don't want you to think of a pink elephant. Hey, don't, don't. Just don't think of a pink elephant. Yeah, yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is a pink elephant because you are focusing on the don't. You are focusing... You know, I mean, you don't, you're not focusing on the don't. Your, your brain pictures the problem in itself, which is the pink elephant. In order to overcome obesity, I find it's not to tell a person what they can do not to be obese. It's completely change their focus onto something else completely. Form a new pattern. Form a new identity. Form a new outlook onto something. Mm. Long enough, and if they continue to do that, the old fades away because they don't have to deal with it whatsoever. They're not trying to redig it trying to shift it. They're not moving it. It's nothing to do with that. And that's a low-hanging fruit. For me, that's a lower-hanging fruit, yes, than trying to change a bad pattern. It seems like that's a common mistake we make is trying to trying to change the, the bad behavior, which can often not result in sustainable behavior, long-term change. Right? And I, because this is, this is valuable because coaches, health professionals, human beings, we all work with ourselves or other people in, I'm going to say changing behavior, but establishing new behaviors, right? And there's a clear difference that you're articulating here that it, that appears to be really important because it's a common mistake or a gap in, in health professionals' knowledge is, oh, we understand the X's and O's. Oh, we can tell you, you know, difference between a monosaccharide and a disaccharide and, and this muscle action and that mm -hmm. joint function, but... Do we actually know how to support a framework to get people to change themselves without being reliant on you? Yep. What do you think then are some of the most common mistakes young personal trainers, coaches, health professionals are making that in your observation? easy. Everyone is too theory driven. Everyone wants to learn more, which is not a bad thing, but they don't know how to apply. So courses, coaches that keep chasing courses, course horse, you call them, they just keep chasing course after course after course to get, you know, X amount of certifications after their names. You are effective. You are only as effective as the results you produce. You're only as effective as the relationships you build with your clients. Don't chase it. At the end of the day, if you know something, use it. Use the basics well. This was, see, this was other, the, the other thing that Charles was big about is that he taught a lot of sexy movements, exercises, and protocols. He taught, he taught a lot of them. But he also reinforced the fact that if you were not good at the basics, don't bother about them. Because the problem with people is that they do not hear that. They take the sexy. They apply the sexy. People get injured. They don't understand. It's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing all this? It's useless. 
because you're not learning to listen properly and use the basics. So what's the foundation of the house? What's the basics? If you, I mean, you have courses, right? If you could, let's say you, you're in control of cert threes and fours now. You're in control of degree, exercise science degrees. Like what's your ideal foundation basics? Application. Teach people how to apply effectively. It has to be application. Theory is great, but unless you pair theory of application that's useless and is effective application. So with everything that you promote, if there's theory, put an application. If there's theory, put an application. People like to look for the silver bullet as well, but I think people need to, be, to understand that with application, things change, right? Individualization, application is important. We, are, uh, we deliver so threes and fours. How would you recommend, if you were in full control, how would you support that environment for application? Is there anything specific or strategic where you'd create that environment? Or yeah, is- for me, it would be case studies. Okay. So learn how to bring case studies, case studies of people around you, case studies of people that you see in the gym. If you're doing a shadowing or mentorship, ask the right questions. Learn to be critical. Don't take anything just as surface value. Okay. Learn to find the why, the why. Dig a little bit deeper. Okay. Got it. Benjamin, to finish off, let's paint this example, you have, you can speak to all the graduating PTs and exercise science, health science students, you got two, three minutes, right? Something you say might profoundly change, you know, an industry. What do you tell them? I would say that a lot of trainers enter the industry because they themselves are interested in training. That doesn't make you a good trainer, nor does it make you a successful trainer. As a trainer, you also need a lifestyle. You need to earn money for yourself and you need to make a business for yourself. So in saying so, how do you make a successful business for any personal trainer? It's not learning more. It may not necessarily be that. It is learning how to apply better and apply effectively. Now, before you learn how to apply though, Learn how to seek the needs of your clients. So it comes back to relationship building. The key foundation of building a good business is learning how to identify your client's needs. So take your time. Don't try to sell them something at first go. A lot of trainers do that very, very fast. This is my package. This is what you need. How do you know what they need if you haven't asked them? Mm. If you haven't dug enough? Oh, I want to get a six-pack. Why? Mm. How is that important to you? Like actually understand your client. If you don't speak their language, language, if you cannot identify a need, you cannot provide a solution. If you can identify a need and provide the solution, there'll be no reason why the client wouldn't train with you. The problem with them is they offer a solution without a need. So try to find a need. Give your client a need if they, if they don't have one, identify it, give it to them, give them the solution and grow your business. Well said, Benjamin. Any last parting thoughts before we get up out of here? No, I hope you've taken a little bit away from this talk. There's a lot of abstract concepts in here, but... (laughs) That's okay. That's now the point of the listener to uncover them. Break it down and uncover it. Yes. Thank you, my friend. Um, Where can people find you? Where would you point them to if they want to learn more about you? Yep, learn-asp.com. So learn-asp.com. These are 
Uh, that's the platform, the online e-platform for my courses and seminars. You learn a lot about me, if you want to know about me, uh, from these courses and what I'm passionate about. Uh, but again, based on the way I have uh, spoken about what trainers should learn, I think the courses reflect that. It is about practical application. I want to be able to break down theory in such easy, concise, practical manner that you can take that and apply it immediately because you're only as effective as how you get results. If you don't get results, then theory is useless. So well head down there if you have the chance to. Thank you, Benjamin, for your time. Seriously. Pleasure, my friend. Pleasure. I'm, Thank you so much for yours. I'm grateful for it. And I hope and look forward to our paths crossing in person in the future. And I have a feeling they will. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You we'll talk too. to you soon. All right. Thanks, buddy. See you. Benjamin, ladies and gentlemen, that was one of the most, I would say, thought-provoking conversations I've had on this podcast this year thus far. We haven't had that many to count with. I hope that gave people some things to think about and not just think about because we do a lot of thinking, but do about, to be about, and to apply. Particularly with one of the last things you said about identifying the needs of your clients. Otherwise, how can you provide an effective service? And this is something we teach in our courses. I teach in our courses is one of our first classes. When we talk about the, the client process, the is establishing their why, their what, and their how. What do they really want? Why do they want it? And asking them repeatedly in different open-ended questions into why. Why is that important to you? Why do you really want to lose weight? Often, it's way more, way deeper than the superficial. And once you get deeper, then you can establish buying in connection with somebody who is much more likely to get better results, buy into the whole process, which is long-term patient change and be committed towards that compared to if you just got the superficial sexy, hey, I can get you a six-pack, get you lean, get you jacked, get you strong, get you a booty, get you healthier, get an out of pain in X weeks. That usually is not the recipe to long-term behavior adaptation and change. And hopefully, that gives many of you some things to think about. Benjamin spoke about application. This is why we have 30 weeks of practical application, weekly classes in our course. Very few Certificate 3, 4 providers have this because most are just trying to deliver the online surface information, get people in, get people out. Ticket in, ticket out. Number in, number out. You're another member at a casino. In and out. Who can spend the most? How can I get you in and out the most? By while I get the most money. That is not what we envision and aim to do. We recognize the massive flaw and weakness 
within so many trainers and coaches, and that is a lack of practical application and ability to apply the theory and confidence with competence, which is why we got the classes. So if that sounds like that resonates with you, then maybe the Cert 3-4 with us would be valuable to you. We'll see you guys next week. I'm Alexander Emmanuel Sandalis. You guys can find me on the internet. Search my name at Strength of Saad. If you want to see the training and coaching journey, stay well. And I'll see you guys soon.